Good afternoon and welcome to your book garden radio, a copyrighted show presented by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Tina Susetic, your host. Well, fall has come a bit early here in northwestern Wisconsin, so it's time to clean out the flower beds and the empty flower pots. That's always such a sad time, especially since we had a a late spring and an early fall. It just went by in a blink. Uh, Today I'm excited to have my very first international guest on the air. Gil Paul comes to us from across the pond. Her historical novels have reached the top of the USA Today, Toronto Globe and Mail and Kindle charts and has been translated into 20 languages. They include two best-selling Romanoff novels, The Secret Wife and The Lost Daughter, as well as Women and Children First, which was shortlisted for the 2013 RNA Epic Novel of the Year Award, No Place for a Lady, shortlisted for a Love Stories Award, and Another Woman's Husband about links between Wallace Simpson and Princess Diana. Welcome, Gil. Thank you so much, Tina. I'm so excited to be on your show. And I'm happy to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I live in London. I'm calling you just now from London, England, but I'm actually Scottish. I was born in Glasgow in Scotland, just outside Glasgow, and I moved down here um, after finishing university. I worked in publishing for a while and then started writing, and I went straight to historical fiction just because I've always loved history. And um, I, I sometimes write stories with a historical and a modern setting, but it's it's the history bit that I'm really interested in. Yeah, I have to I have to agree with you on that, and it's it's interesting because I did not like history in high school. I hated history in high school. It was boring. But you know, when you when you read some of these novels that have historical backgrounds, it just makes it so much more interesting. And on that note, um, there's been a, a recent wave of, of authors writing about women in history. Um, there's wives and daughters of past presidents and women who flew and fought during World War II, uh, women being sent to Quebec to uh, help populate, populate it, which was very interesting. Um, mm. And I love reading about these women and, and, and their strength and what they do to get through what they were you know, thrown into. And so often we don't hear about the women behind the men. All we do is hear about the men. Um, so I want to thank you for, for you know, writing the stories that you do. Um, it's, uh, you know, it just adds to my pile of what more oh, I want to read. So. Oh, gosh, no, there's um, some fabulous novels in that vein of, of you know, the women. I mean, I love uh, Stephanie Thornton's novel about Alice Roosevelt. I don't know if you've read that, American Princess, and Kate Quinn's novels about women in the Second World War. They're just, I love the fact that we're now readdressing the fact that all these women, they weren't written about in the history books, but they were out there doing incredible stuff all the same. Yeah, it's, um, I had on uh, well, a couple of months ago the authors who wrote um, My Dear Hamilton and America's oh, yeah, First yeah. Daughter. I think the time. Yeah, Lawrence, yes, yeah, and just yeah, you know, just learning about you know, you think about Alexander Hamilton and you know the the, the important men, and it's like, but wait a minute, there were women behind them that yeah. you know <laughs> went through what they went through. Have you through. seen the show? Uh, and pro- I have not. Hamilton. I would love to. Have you seen? Have you I seen did. It? I managed to get tickets over here in London, and they're like hen's teeth. It's really hard. But, um, yeah, I know it was a wonderful show. It's so well done. I do recommend it. Mm, well, I would have to get to Wisconsin. I'm not sure. Or Minneapolis. Mm. Minneapolis might work. Uh, we're kind of yeah. a little bit smaller here over on northwestern Wisconsin. One of the um, 
I've always been intrigued by the Romanovs, and I remember decades ago reading a book about you know the the Romanovs and and, and World War One and and uh, you know everything that went on, and you've written two books um, based on the Ro- uh-huh. Romanovs. Of course, they're 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 fiction, but um, one is The Lost Daughter, which is your newest one, just came out on last month, right? The the That's right, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm. I tried getting you on my show then, and you were very busy, so I couldn't get you on. <laughs> and then the, the Secret Wife, which I've just started reading, and of course I'm already drawn into the book. Um, it's it's uh, What made you decide to um, write about um, the Romanoff daughters or two of them in particular Maria and, and Tatiana Tatiana yes no it's an interest that goes back to my teenage years and when I was a teenager that was before the graves of the Romanovs had been discovered so it was still kind of up in the air about whether they might or some of them might have survived and there was a, a book uh, I think it was 1976 it was published Anthony Summers and Tom Mangold's file on the czar giving a very plausible way that um, not Nicholas himself, but the rest of the family might have escaped from Ekaterinburg in July 1918. And I totally believed that at the time because it's just it's just too hard to understand how um, men could just wipe out an entire royal family like that, a family that's so closely related to the rest of European royalty. I mean, it's a very, very shocking thing. And so that's I believe that. And then, of course, in... Um, 1991 the first grave was dug up and they found the bones and they analyzed them but they discovered that there were two missing it turned out to be maria and alexi's bones were missing from that first grave so there was still a chance that somebody had escaped from ekaterinburg until 2007 they found the second grave and dna kind of confirmed not everybody believes it still um but i think most scientists would say that uh, the dna matches and uh, the entire family was killed that night um mm. but it just it really got under my skin the fact that you know an entire royal family closely related to our queen and just about other every other monarchy around europe could just be killed in such a brutal way and uh, i suppose the story stayed with me and then there's a wonderful non-fiction author about the, the Romanovs, Helen Rappaport. She wrote a book called Four Sisters, which totally brings the characters of Olga, Tatiana, Maria and Anastasia to life. You know, you feel, you can see what their characters were like. And um, when I was reading that, just a tiny story stuck in my head about the fact that, you know, these girls were all of marriageable age. They had, um, they had suitors. There had been plans to try and match them with European royalty, but in fact, they'd all got their favourites amongst the Imperial Guard or the sailors on the Royal Yacht. And Tatiana was particularly keen on an officer called Dmitry Malama, who was injured in the first week of the First World War and brought back to Starsko Selo, where they'd set up hospitals for the military. And she and Dmitry became very close. And in fact, had it not been for the Russian Revolution, they could have married. He came from aristocracy. His father was a general. Um, so I started thinking about what might have happened between them. And then a little bit of what-if history took over. And um, I just tried to imagine this great big first love between Dmitry and Tatiana and what might have happened in the future between them. So that was my first um, Romanov novel published in 2016. 
And then I was still obviously completely caught up with reading everything. I've always read everything that I could about the Romanovs. And I came across this story, which is quoted in several books, about Maria having a little flirtation with one of the guards in the last house that they were held, the Apatiev house in Ekaterinburg. And I thought, well, that makes sense, you know, that uh, if I was imprisoned in a house like that, I would try and make friends with the guards. It would, it would perhaps make you feel safer. And um, I decided I wanted she was to what, write 20? about that. Sorry? She was 20, right? She was 20 years yeah, old, Maria? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, so the story goes that this guard, Ivan Skorokodov, brought her a birthday cake. No, it was her 19th birthday. He brought her a birthday cake. Oh, okay. And uh, the family enjoyed that. And then she went out into the corridor afterwards to thank him for the cake. And um, they were caught in what were described as compromising circumstances by the commandant of the guard. And, um, you know, she was a Romanov Grand Duchess. I'm sure it wasn't anything at all. Um, you know, the, the new TV program, The Last Tsars, um, about the Romanovs shows them stripping off. That would never have happened. It really wouldn't. Oh. <laughs> um, and in fact, possibly nothing happened in the history books have just made a mountain out of a molehill. But to me, it was a curious little insight into her character, um, the fact that she was friendly with these guards. And that was the starting point for my second novel about the Romanovs called The Lost Daughter. Um, and one of the one of the things that um, was interesting to, to, to read was you really brought out what it was like for the people that were living in in uh, was it Lenin, Leningrad after she um, oh, where did where did they live after she got married? Um, oh yes, yes, I, Leningrad. Um, yes, and uh, what they had to well, what they know, had to go through to yeah, what they had to go through to survive. I mean, the the, the conditions I mean, you know, were brutal, and the rest of the population of Russia because you know the Bolshevik years of they were trying all these economic experiments with collective farms and and um, it's backfired spectacularly and caused famine throughout Russia in the early 1920s. So all the peasants, you know, the country people started coming to town and getting work in the big factories. And there were their experiments with collective living where you had like three families in one room, which was kind of a disaster. <laughs> And then you had Stalin coming in with his secret, you know, the secret police getting more and more influence. And um, I've always wanted to write about life in a police state. How do you decide who to trust when neighbors inform on neighbors and neighbors and your children are encouraged at school to inform on their parents to anything unusual oh, that yeah. you might do at home? It's how, how do you, I mean, how does anybody fall in love in a police state? How do you decide whether you can trust somebody or not? So that kind of thing has always fascinated me. And I very much wanted to to write about what an awful time people, the people of, of Russia had through those decades of Leninism and then Stalinism. And uh, so that found its way into into The Lost Daughter as well. Yeah, that, I mean, I love we talk about history. what, boiling so shoe leather. And, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, the siege of Leningrad was just shocking, shocking and horrible. Um, the Ger German troops surrounded um, Leningrad in 1941, and the people that, and Stalin didn't send help. He decided it was indefensible. He didn't airdrop food. He just left them, and they were just dropping dead. Um, at the height of the, the siege, it was um, 
seven to eight hundred thousand people dying per month. You know, it's just crazy. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, but then they, the second winter of the siege, they managed engineers managed to build a road across the ice of of Lake Ladoga. Um, they had to wait until it was eight inches thick before they could drive a truck with cargo onto it. But then they got this road only in the winter months, clearly. And it's just such a huge feat. So they managed to evacuate women and children across this ice road and to bring in some supplies for those who'd stayed behind. Um, you know, human nature is, is pretty indomitable. They, they think of ways around things. Yeah, you know, and what and what they can. I mean, when you read stuff about what the soldiers did in in World War Two, the things that they created, you know, to make their lives somewhat more comfortable, it's like you know, just ingenious, you know, oh, the things absolutely. that you know, pe- people can you know come up with. It's it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, um, you know, the book, The Lost Daughter, is not just about um, Maria, and and, no. and her life you tie in the future or the contemporary. I don't want to say future because it sounds like it's time travel, which it's not. Um, <laughs> but you tie in kind of a, you know, kind of a, a, a mystery and, and um, you know, it, it, um, it made the book more interesting, you know. Um, it was interesting to begin with. Sure, but um, I, I can't remember the name of the... the um, Val, Val Doyle is a woman in 1970s Australia who's um, yeah. married to an abusive husband. And uh, she's had a very difficult controlling father as well. And as the story opens in 1973, her father has dementia, is in a nursing home. And he's saying some very strange things. He's saying, I didn't mean to kill her. And Val visits him and tries to figure out who he's talking about um, because her mother has disappeared when she was 13. And she assumes her father was talking about this. But um, so she's off on a trail of discovery about her own life. And at the at the start, I suppose, in the novel, it doesn't feel as though the two stories are connected very much, apart from the fact that Val's father was Russian, had fled um, Russia in the 1920s and ended up via Manchuria, harbouring in Manchuria. He'd ended up down in Sydney. So there is a link there. And gradually, as she explores her past, it takes her back into Russia and to St. Petersburg, and uh, the stories do tie up in the end. I don't think I'm giving away any spoilers. <laughs> I know I'm trying to be careful too, and everything about what am I going to, you know, ask. And I, that was one of the point I was going to make up is how you you gradually learn how this is being tied in, you know. But then as you're, you know, who did he, her father, kill? You know, yeah. you're not really sure who he, you know, which one he, you know, who, who he killed, or maybe he thought he had killed and didn't, and mm-hmm. you know, and then the the ending, you know, the 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 way it ended, it was like, okay, you know, there was a couple places, <laughs> you know, throughout the book, it's like this is this is so incredibly sad, you know, oh. and then you know, and then you lift us up again, and it's like, oh no, <laughs> you know, um, you know, I'm but sorry what, about that, you know. <laughs> No. Well, no, that's good. That's what a, that's what a book should do. It should, you know, a good book runs you through the gamut of emotions, you know, yeah. um, and it makes you think what's going to happen next. You know, what, what, what you know, what are you going to put poor Maria through again? You know, and, I know. Uh, I know. Um, yeah, I do like but, writing uh, yeah. a, bit of, a bit of tragedy. Yes. Um, or just trying yeah. to capture the heart and trying to emotion, capture the emotional truth. 
of the characters that I'm writing about in some way. That's the big challenge, to make them real people, um, you know, with the flaws and contradictions and sad things and happy things and the whole mix. That's what I mean. And you, you know, you, you, and you wrote it in a way that it's like, could this really have happened? You know, you, you start thinking, okay, you know that they were all killed, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe, well, maybe you'll know something fiction, I don't know. With my Pardon? historical fiction, I try to keep to the facts as far as certainly all the tiny details. I try to get that absolutely 100% accurate. I might change something, like perhaps having one of the Romanovs escape from a Katrinburg, but I will always confess in an afterword at the end of the book what was true and what wasn't true, because I don't want to go around trying to rewrite history. But all the details of life in Bolshevik Russia and um, in a Katrinburg, I'll really follow the history books and that and try and make it as accurate as possible. Just not in a kind of textbook kind of a way, but just a few little details so that the reader is convinced that they're there, that there's, this is authentically what the experience was like. Just to try and show some kind of, you know, what was it like living in that house in the Katrinburg with a great big palisade round about it and machine gun posts at the corners. The windows were whitewashed so they couldn't see out. Their food was restricted. Their time out outside in the yard was restricted. And it was just becoming increasingly terrifying for those young girls stuck in there with their parents. So I was trying to capture that. And that's well, what you, you can't do in a standard fiction history book. You can't make up what it felt like to be them. Um, you know, historians yeah. can tell the facts and biographers can tell what happened and when it happened and why it happened maybe. But I tried to get into their heads and and describe what it felt like when it all happened. So that's the difference. You know, and that, that must have been that must have been hard writing the scene where they were they were killed. I mean to that just oh. um and I and I read in your in your bio that, you know, you were you read the accounts of the men that shot them? Yeah. Yeah. They were kept. I mean the head of the guards, Yurovsky, um, wrote two accounts actually which were kept in the Soviet state archives right through the 20th century and he described it in a lot of detail. Some of the other men did as well and there are contradictions between their accounts. One called Yermakov, um, I think most Romanov historians distrust his version <laughs> to a large extent but um, you know you can get the consensus and Yurovsky's are quite detailed so he's got the order of events, what happened which of the girls died in which way and, and it's really pretty oh. pretty grim um, and, and yeah, I you can't wonder how they could have done it, it. Was... of course what happened was although they had decided beforehand that each man would shoot one of the party so there were the two Nicholas Alexandra, there were five children and there were four of the family servants in there with them as well and each man was supposed to be shooting one of them but of course none of them wanted to shoot the girls <laughs> they did, they just at the last <sighs> minute, I think they switched their guns and shot Nicholas instead. So the girls were just injured, but um, not killed outright, which is worse, really. Yeah, because really then they, they knew it was going. Yeah, really going. I mean, for you to you know to read that too would have been. Did you have nightmares? <laughs> um, no, I didn't have 
nightmares about that. But oh. it is odd when you're trying to put yourself emotionally into that situation. And I do get into an emotional state. <laughs> Sometimes there's a funny story. There's a point in the novel that you, you might recognize where a baby dies. And while I was writing that, uh-huh. I started crying. And my partner came into the room and he said, what's up? What's happened? And I went, oh, the baby died. And you could see him <laughs> thinking through all our friends, thinking, who's had a baby recently? What's she talking about? And I said, oh, in my novel. And he said, so you invented a baby and you invented that it died and that's why you're upset. I'm like, yes. And he was like, okay, <laughs> do you want a cup of tea? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do get very emotionally involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was that was that was heart heartbreaking to to read that part. That was one of those where oh, you're like, oh, of course, when you're trying no. to put yourself into a historical character's shoes, you can't just think, what would I have done in those circumstances? You've got to try and make allowances for, well, first of all, the fact that they were very devout um, religious followers of the Russian Orthodox Church. That was a huge influence in their lives. Um, they'd been brought up royal. You know, I wasn't brought up royal, nothing like. So I have to imagine all these things. And also the whole class system. Um, they were very polite. And uh, so I've got to think about all these things while I'm imagining, trying to imagine myself inside their heads in the house. But, yeah, no, it's an exercise. It's, you have to use your imagination. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I really it's enjoyed the book. It's a thing so. to do for a living, isn't it? I mean, I know, Tina, you write yeah. lots of romances. I know and sometimes I'll... have to try and pretend to be somebody else for the day while we're writing, don't mm-hmm. we? I know sometimes when I'm, I'm working on something and I'll say something out loud, my husband will go, what? And I go, oh, my character, he just goes, oh, okay. And just, you know, <laughs> all right. And he goes back to reading. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> hilarious. I have a brother who says I'm just strange, but you know, um, but you know, it's 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 neat to be able to create, you know, the, the characters oh, and wonderful. you know, and for you to do something with characters that were actually, you know, based on history, you know, would be. I, I have love not done that yet. About but real characters. I mean, I feel a certain responsibility to try and get things as accurate as possible, but. Um, I suppose I don't need to. You know, people have written a TV series about Hitler winning the Second World War, you know, The Man from the High Castle. Oh, and, and I believe there are novels about Abraham Lincoln being a vampire. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be strictly accurate. Yeah. But the type of history that I'm writing about, I do try and keep it pretty close to the facts for the most you part. You know, I, I, I wish... I, I wish, you know, growing up or in, in, in high school, you know, that things were taught in a more interesting way like that and when when I taught fifth grade and it was American history and you know I'd ask the kids you know well how do you think where do you think they went to the bathroom on the ship where do you think they cooked where do you think you know try to make it more real other than okay Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492 you know (laughs) kind of thing try to make it you know more more interesting you know walking across the United States in a you know in a in a wagon train what would have been like mm. as a child? What would you have done? You know, kind of thing. Make it, you know, more real and more interesting. Because um, yeah. history is, is is interesting. I love it now. It's <laughs> stories, isn't it? But it really, when it's when it's taught properly, 
Yeah. No, I, I, history um, was taught very, very badly at my school. Um, it was just a list of facts and dates that you had to memorize yes. to pass exams. But I was lucky to have a mother who was passionate about history, and we used to watch the historical dramas on television together and also read a lot of... She read a lot of Jean Clady, um, which um, she's an English writer who writes about the Tudors and Stuarts and romances and... And also biographies by um, Antonia Fraser and other people. And um, I loved my kings and queens in those days. <laughs> I still do, I think. I'm fascinated <laughs> by, by royalty and how difficult it is. You know, how much more difficult. Okay, sure, they've got money. But in terms of forming relationships, it's, it's actually harder than for the rest of us to make it work because of the scrutiny and um, oh. all the, the rules they have to follow. Some yeah. of them are just, yeah. Crazy and yeah, and the and the and the scrutiny is just, you know, being under a you know you're under a glass dome all the time and you know heaven forbid don't blink wrong because it'll be in the news. <laughs> so well, especially yeah, in the be, last couple of decades, the you know or three decades, the British press over here are just appalling. You know, they made Diana's life a misery, and um, they're gunning yeah. for Meghan now. I don't know why. It's because I think it's because she has put her foot wrong, and they want her to. You know, it's it's ridiculous. It's really really horrible. But she seems a tough character, and um, I hope she yeah. cope with it. Yeah. Every time I see something, it's like, yeah, okay, all right. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna read that. We've got about four minutes left. Um, Talk, talk to us a little bit about your your um, your other books. Um, you've got Women and Children First, No Place for a Lady, and Another Woman's Husband, which sounds very intriguing. Uh-huh. Um, well, talking about royalty, Another, another Woman's Husband is about um, Wallace Simpson, who married um, King Edward VIII of Great Britain, who and then he almost immediately abdicated his throne, or you know he had to abdicate uh-huh. his throne in, in order to marry her. But also, it's about the death of Princess Diana in Paris in 1997, and I just I could see lots of links between these two women already. You know, they married into the same family. They were both fashion icons. They were both incredibly thin. Um, they were both hounded by the media. And then I found out that on the day that, you know, hours before she died in Paris in 1997, Diana had visited Wallace Simpson's old house in Paris, and nobody's entirely sure why she was there. So that was a mystery crying out for a novelist to, to hmm. make something out of it. So that's what Another Woman's Husband is about. It's about Wallace and her relationship with her best friend, Aunt Mary, and it's also about why Diana went to Wallace's house that day in 1997. So I really enjoyed writing that one. A bit different from the Romanovs, but still about royalty. And then Women and Children yeah, totally. is, is another passion of mine. It's about the Titanic. And that's another situation where I think everybody who reads the story of that ship tries to think, what would I have done? How would I have got myself onto a lifeboat? Would I have taken a you know, a, a seat from somebody else? You know, it's It's just extraordinary to think that you know in the one hour 40 minutes they had to figure out what to do um the stress running around the ship getting lost coming up from third class there's so many stories in there i just loved writing about that too okay now and, two more uh, books i got to add to my <laughs> to be read list <laughs> oh thanks tina <laughs> and then no place for a lady 
no place for a lady is set during the Crimean War in the 1850s, and it's not that well known as a war. It was Britain and France and Turkey against Russia over Crimea in the Black Sea. But it's the last war in which the British army actually took their wives along with them, and there's lots of stories oh of you know, written by the wives that were there. And it's also when Florence Nightingale set up a hospital in Istanbul to, to treat the wounded soldiers. So there was a lot of very strong, powerful women's stories in there. So I enjoyed writing writing that one very much. And you're kind of, um, you know, all sorts of different eras, you know, um, World War One, uh, the Titanic, um, uh, <laughs> contemporary with Wallace Simpson, Princess Diana. Yeah. We don't have a lot of time left. Um, I just got, uh, we've got a minute left. Really, really quick, what are you working on next? I'm working on a novel set in the 1960s, and it's about Jackie Kennedy and Maria Callas, and uh, they're both of them love affair with Aristotle Onassis, the Greek millionaire. So that will be coming out in August 2020. Oh, sounds fascinating. Sounds like another good one. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I wish we'd had more time. Um, uh, I look forward to your next book. And um, thank you for listening. Join me on October 8th when my guest will be J.A. Jantz. Until then, read on, my lovelies. Thank you, Gil. Thank you.